Good morning, Grace Church family. Um, as Mark said, please turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 to 22. And please stand for the reading of God's word. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them, and he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing and you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Uh, I thought before I get going, I'll give you a little personal update. Um, some of you have been asking. So good news uh, that maybe many of you don't know. So this Wednesday, uh, me and my wife and three girls, we leave for Zambia. Uh, so we're going to Africa for three weeks. Uh, so we've got a 10, 8, and 6-year-old uh, that we're going to take across the world. So we've got a um, crazy, we have like a 15-hour flight to Qatar, followed by an 8-hour flight to uh, Lusaka, followed by a 1-hour flight to Ndola, Zambia. So it's going to be wild. So we could use some prayers. Um, but we are, we're going to be down with North Rice University. Many of you know um, Moffat and Doreen, and this, it's a Christ-centered university in Zambia. And um, I'll be teaching a summer school class there. And then Carrie and the girls will be working with some of the schools and orphanages in the area. And then there's a, a young women's ministry that Doreen recently started that um, Carrie will be able to minister. She's a, a counselor by trade. And so, so that's what we'll be doing. So we'll be there for three weeks. So I'll miss you and you'll miss me hopefully for the next three Sundays. Um, but we're really excited. We're a little overwhelmed, um, but we leave Wednesday. And, uh, and then the other news, some of you know, uh, two weeks ago, you know, I preached first service and then I didn't preach second service, which I've never done before. I've always liked you more anyways. Um, so, um, oh shoot, this is being live streamed. Sorry, second service. Um, uh, but a lot of you have been asking me about what happened. So I, I, uh, about nine months ago, I started having these, these episodes where I'll feel really faint, okay? And I'll not like, yeah, just like I feel like I'm going to faint. I've never fainted. There's no heart pain, but it's a very scary 
feeling. And that's what happened actually at, towards the end of the sermon. Um, I had one of those episodes, and if you, I, I kind of ended up hanging on to this thing and cutting what I was going to say a little short and then didn't show up for second service. So I ended up in the ER. And, um, and so I've been going through a number of tests the last two w- weeks. I've got a heart monitor on me right now. Um, but good news is everything's coming back clean. EKGs, blood work, uh, heart sonogram, carotid sonogram. Everything is, is coming through clean. And so uh, uh, my cardiologist thinks whatever's happening, it's not seriously dangerous. It's not life-threatening. He's very comfortable with me going to Africa. And um, so anyways, but a lot of you have been um, really just kind and wonderful. And even this morning I walked in and I got an applause over here. That was, that was awesome. So <laughs> we should do this more often. Um, but it's been, a, as you can imagine, going to Zambia, you know, with your family in the midst of all this, it's been a pretty full two weeks. <laughs> so we could use your prayers uh, and I could use your prayers. So that's, that's what's happening. But we're super excited. And, um, but I won't see you till towards the end of June after today. So, so today, uh, we finish up our series on the life of Moses. And, um, this has been a, just a, this in particular, this series has been just a blessing to me. I've loved, I've loved it. Learned so much. And, um, and I thought we could do, rather than share another story about Moses, we could let Moses speak for himself today um, and let him get the final word on his life to us. So we're in Deuteronomy for the first time. A uh, little context, Deuteronomy means second law, Deutero to namas law. So this is sort of the second giving of the law, right? The first giving of the law was at Mount Sinai uh, when they first came into the wilderness. This is now 40 years later, and they're on the edge of the promised land. And really the whole book is, is Moses reminding them of the covenant. He's calling the people into faithful covenant with God as they move into the promised land. And really it's, it's his farewell speech. Right? This is the, the last chance he'll have to speak to the people. Two weeks ago we, we saw his death, right? The, the, the story of his death. But this is his farewell speech. And, and it's interesting, if you think about like, you know, if you were to give a farewell speech, uh, if you were, you know, a parent to a, to your child or a, or a grandparent to, um, you know, your grandkids or just to your friends or if you're a pastor giving, giving a, uh, do I have control of this? Yeah. Uh, what's going on here? I don't know what just happened there. You take me back to the beginning mine, minus that slide. Um, you know, if you had a, a last chance to say something to people, what, what would you say? And my suspicion is the things that we would say would end up being like the most basic of like almost cliches, you know, but cliches because they're absolutely true. Like, hey, you know, hold fast to God, <laughs> L- love well, right? These just these utterly foundational things that make up the stuff of life, and really that's what what Moses does uh, in Deuteronomy. He calls the people back to the basics, and in this passage, this is a great kind of summary of the whole book. And um, so I want to just look at just the basics and three basics that, that Moses calls the people to. First, he reminds them of who God is. Um, second, he, he reminds them of what God asks of us. And then thirdly, he reminds them of the biggest barrier to doing what the Lord asks, okay? So I want to look at those three things. And we're actually going to, today's going to be a little different. I want to create some pockets um, during my time that you can just kind of give you moments of silence, or we'll sing at one point, or just moments of reflection and prayer with each of these. So I'll, I'll talk about one of these, and then just kind of want this to, you know, we've had all this this year, we want to be able to reflect 
and kind of slow down. So this should feel a little um, slower and just give you a little more space than would, would normally happen. We thought that would be really appropriate on this final day of the series. Okay, so all that to say, nothing new here. This is the cliches. This is the, the utterly foundational, fundamental parts of life and of our faith. So first, let's start. Moses reminds the people of who God is, okay? Let me read where he does that again. Look at verse 14. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. And then look at verse 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. Um, but then that's fall. Look back at verse 15. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. And then look again at verse 18. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. This is who your God is. And if I could summarize it, it's this. Your God is the big, sovereign, all-powerful God of the universe who exercises his power and his grace on behalf of the vulnerable, the weak, the needy, the powerless. This is who your God is. And I want to just look at both of those for a second. First, your God is the, the sovereign, all-powerful God of the universe. And you think about Moses' life, okay? All that we've seen, Moses, all his experience, I think he would step back at the end of his life and say, the God I have seen is big. He's powerful. He's mighty. He's, he's all powerful. He saw God's power in Egypt, right? The ten mighty deeds of Yahweh, right? Destroying the gods of Egypt. The, what we know as the ten plagues. These powerful signs. This God who, who is utterly in control of all of creation. The God of the Red Sea, right? Who when, when, when there's nowhere to go, God can make a way where one doesn't exist by his power. He's the God of the wilderness. When there's, it feels like provision has dried up, God can just bring bread from heaven, right? Water from rocks. He's the God of Mount Sinai who shows up in, in thunder and trumpet blast and smoke and fire and a booming voice. I think Moses would say to us, my God is big and strong and all-powerful. And you need to know that about him. I mean, it's not, there's no competition between Yahweh and other gods. There's only one God. He's so high above every other God. But in the very next breath, I think he would say, but he is a God who exercises all that power and bigness on behalf of the little people, the, the vulnerable and the weak. And he starts, he reminds Israel, that's who you were, right? God set his affection, verse 15, on you and your ancestors, and loved them. Verse 22, your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70. There were only 70 of you. And now the Lord God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. He reminds them, you guys were weak and powerless, right? You were slaves. You were nobody in this world from a human standpoint. And yet God set his affection on you and rescued you. Don't ever forget that. And then he reminds them, what he did for you is what he likes to do all the time. He, he chose people like you because those are the kinds of people he loves to choose, right? He says he's a, he's a defender 
of the fatherless and the widow and the foreigner, right? This is, this is the kind of God he is. He's got this, just this tender heart of compassion for people who are in need, who can't fend for themselves, who can't defend themselves. He's big and mighty, and he loves to exercise that, that might and power on behalf of the weak and the vulnerable. This is who your God is. Don't forget it. And I was thinking this week, just the, that, that kind of dynamic of who God is, um, the Exodus story is, is not a story in the Bible. It, it's actually the story. Do you know that? Like, this is the central narrative of the Old Testament. The central narrative is a story of God choosing a people, bringing them out of Egypt, and bringing them into the promised land. That is the story of the Old Testament. And I was thinking, like, it, it is really God's, through story, his introducing himself to the world. It's his coming out in terms of who he is, what kind of God he is to the world. And think about this. If you're the God of the universe and you can introduce yourself, reveal yourself however you want to communicate whatever you want, what would, how, would, how would you do it? Okay? This is how our God did it. I'm going to take a group of slaves Okay? An oppressed ethnic minority in the most powerful empire in the world. I will choose them and I will bring them out of the most powerful empire in the world without a single military victory. No coup, no nothing. I will do it of my own power and hand. Something that is utterly impossible to do. And what is he revealing? What, what would you, he be revealing about himself? What's so clear? I want to reveal to the world that I alone am God that I can defeat any human system of power or wisdom, and that I have a heart for the vulnerable, for the powerless. I mean, the story, it, it couldn't, there's no clear way he could communicate that that's the kind of God that he is. And so Moses, one last time, is reminding the people, this is who our God is. This is how he wanted to be known. This is how he wants to be known. And, and just to, to kind of give us a moment to reflect on this, I was thinking just personally, I don't think we ever truly know God until we know him in that specific way. I mean, we can know some theoretical things, but like, and we need to know this in a personal way, that we never really understand God until we understand these two aspects, that he's powerful and almighty, and that he loves to minister his power and his grace to those in need. And so you can know, you can have some theoretical knowledge of God, I think, but and until we actually experience him in that way in our lives, we will never truly experience what God says, then you will know that I am the Lord. And so I was thinking of my own life this week because that's precisely when I most have experienced God, is when I come up against moments of weakness, of vulnerability, of powerlessness, right, of helplessness. And then God steps in in power and grace and shows up in some way. And all of us can testify, or many of us in this room can testify to that. Those are the times when we most come to know who our God is. And sometimes that's a very, uh, a very uh, theological experience, right? Hopefully at some point, for all of us, it, it was a theological experience where the, the, the helplessness that we recognize is the helplessness of our own sin, 
our own need for a Savior. I, I, I don't have what it takes to, to meet God's standards, right? And then we experience the gospel. God sent his son to the weak, the spiritually weak and vulnerable. And that's how we come to faith in the first point, place. And we, we truly experience the power and grace of God at our place of weakness. And I think then also throughout our lives, there's very practical times when we experience that, right? We're going through a health crisis. Um, we're going through a relational, a marital crisis. We're going through a, a financial moment where we're, you know, having to declare bankruptcy. We're, we're struggling with our, our kids. We're going through depression. We're, we, there's all sorts of practical things that we come up, up against in life where we realize, I, I don't, I can't solve this. I can't fix this. And then God shows up <laughs> in some beautiful way, whether it's subtle, whether it's powerful. And we come to know him again. This is who our God is. And again, just, I think of Moses' own story. I mean, this was true in his life, right? He, he, he's raised in Pharaoh's own household. He's a prince of Egypt, the, the cartoon says, right? Um, and then he murders somebody, right? He murders somebody, and he flees into exile, and he ends up in Midian. Midian's nowhere. You guys, it's in the middle of the desert for 40, 40 years in total obscurity, Right? And then God shows up when he's 80 years old. An ex-prince of Egypt, murder, exile, shepherd for 40 years. And God in power shows up to him. And of course, Moses' first response is, who the heck am I? <laughs> right? And we all need to have that experience at some point of God stepping into our lives graciously, lovingly, powerfully, practically, theologically, whatever way, and us have that experience of humility, like, who, who am I? I don't deserve this. I don't, who, who, that you would see me and respond in this way. Well, who am I? That's what, it, that's what it means to know our God. And so what we're going to do right now is just going to pause and just take a moment, like 30 seconds of silence, and just think about when was the last time might have been last week, might have been five years ago, but the last time that you experienced the grace and the power of God meeting you in a point of vulnerability or weakness or need, okay? We're remembering, as Mark said, let's remember that. Just take a moment, remember it, give thanks for it, and then Scott and Stacia are going to come up, and we're going to sing a song that says you are worthy, okay? And then we'll move on to the next part. Song we could ever sing. 
Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. So that's who our God is. And second, and this is where Moses starts, what does the Lord ask of you? What does the Lord ask of you? That's verse 12. Um, have you ever asked yourself that question? <laughs> Hopefully. Lord, what is it that you ask of me? What, what is it I'm supposed to be doing? And uh, what I love about this is, uh, as I said earlier, he just calls us back to the basics, the most fundamental. Sometimes when we think of this question, we think real specifically, like, what job do you want me to have? What do you, what, what do you want me to pursue? What, you know, what specific things should I be doing in this moment? And Moses kind of cuts through all of those specifics and says, let me just remind you of the basics. You, you actually don't have to wonder what God has for your life. It's, he's made it abundantly clear. And let me just talk you through them. So uh, there's about seven different things that Moses says uh, in this passage in verse 12 through 13 and then uh, farther down in verse 20 and 21. And I'm just going to put them up and um, <clears throat> give us a moment to reflect on each of these. And um, so let me, I'll just talk them through. 
Uh, first one, what does the Lord ask of you? Fear the Lord your God. And we've talked a lot about the fear of the Lord in this, in this series. God, our God is a God to be feared. And that, that word carries, there's, there's supposed to be the sense of awe and reverence with our God, a sense of God's place in the universe versus our place in the universe and how that relationship works. Uh, fear means we should never treat God casually or flippantly or offhandedly, but that we come to him with, with a sense of holy reverence. And you see that posture called for in both covenants, old and new, a sense of holy, awesome worship. Again, we see, we've seen a lot of a God to be, to be worshiped and reverenced in this book. Fear the Lord. That's the first one. Second one, walk in obedience to him. Uh, and walking is actually probably the most common biblical metaphor for life. God said to Abraham originally, the call was walk before me and be blameless. And so uh, we walk uh, through our days. But what I like about that is there's a dailiness to that metaphor. Um, obedience is not a Sunday morning, you know, between 8.30 and, and uh, 10, 10, 15 sort of thing. But we walk into Monday morning and we walk into Tuesday afternoon, and we walk into Wednesday night. It's the dailiness of our lives, and we're being called to obey God in the ordinary, everyday moments of our lives. Walk in obedience to Him. Next one is kind of a different way of saying the same thing, but adds something beautiful. Uh, observe His commands. We've seen a lot of His commands in this, and I love how it ends. Observe His commands for your own good. God has told you how he wants you to live. There's a covenant laid out that, that specifies your life. And guess what? It's for your own good. God's commandments are not burdensome. God is not a killjoy. He's not out there to rob you of life. He designed you. He designed this whole world. He knows how it works. And his commandments invite you into life as it actually is. The positive commandments do that. The negative commandments do that as well. I was thinking this week, you know, we looked at the Ten Commandments. Actually, we didn't spend much time with the Ten Commandments, but we were at Sinai. Um, you know, eight of those ten in Hebrew all start with the word no. No other gods before me, right? No idols. No adultery. No false witness. Um, no murder, right? No's, no's. There's only two positive commands. Um, they're, all, they're all prohibitions, things you can't do. And I remember with my own kids, the, my first commands were no's, right? It was a no touch was, I think, the first one. That was the first important thing to learn, no touch. Um, and we don't like no's as people. We don't like boundaries. But I was thinking if all we did, if, if all we did was, if the world just followed the Ten Commandments, this world would be an epic place. Right? If all we did was obey those no's, <laughs> this place would be wonderful. It'd be marvelous. Just 10. You only need 10. I mean, really, that would kind of cover it. And so when we talk about obedience to this God, we're talking about obedience to a God who, who is for our flourishing and is for our, for our goodness and, and, and created us the way we're intended to walk. And so that's so good to be reminded of when we come up against things that we know we're supposed to do that we don't want to do. It is for our ultimate good. Not always easy, right? But observe his commands for your own good. Next one, ah, love him. I love this. Our God is not just a God to be obeyed. Right? He's not just a God to be served or feared. He is a God to be loved. God says, I want you to love me. 
I want your hearts, right? I want your passion. I want relationship with you. And of course, Jesus tells us of this whole list, this one is the first and most fundamental of all. Love the Lord your God. What a beautiful God who wants to be feared, who wants to be obeyed, who wants to be loved. Next one. Serve him with all your heart and soul. And there I think the idea is um, don't be half-hearted, right? Don't be kind of in and kind of out. This is a God who wants you to be all in all the time with him. Whatever you're doing, do it unto the Lord with all your heart. Next one. I love this image. Hold fast to him. You know, Moses <laughs> had really experienced the ups and downs of life, right? Of leadership. He'd seen success. He'd seen failure. He'd seen joy. He'd seen frustration, desperation. He'd seen every kind of life circumstance. And at the end of that life, he says, you know what, guys? Through thick and thin, hold fast to Yahweh, right? Cling to him. Through the ups and downs, he's your anchor. He's the mast of the ship that you just say, I, this is all I got sometimes, right? And I think Moses in Deuteronomy says, when times are good, don't forget, stay close. And when times are bad and that's all you got, you hold, on, you hold fast to God. He, he wants you to cling to him. And then I think we've got one more. He is the one you are to praise. God wants to be the thing inside your heart and mind that when, when you think about it, you, you, um, you're, it, it just, you sing, your heart sings. It, it's the thing that, he's the thing that gets you up in the morning. He's the thing that your heart thinks about, goes, yes. And in the midst of a world where there's so many other things that vie for our praise, right? Whether that's sport or success or money or uh, status or entertainment, well, you name it. Yahweh, our God, says, I want to be the thing that makes your heart sing. So here they are, these fundamentals of life with God. And what I thought we could do now is, again, just pause for a minute of silence, and maybe, maybe one of these, just, I encourage you to prayerfully look over these, and maybe one of the, these images just strikes you right now, that as you kind of sit with the Spirit, the Spirit's like, yeah, this is, for you right now, this is the one. I mean, all of these are important, right? But maybe there's something about one of these that you go, oh, that's what I want to be about uh, as we move into the summer, okay? So take a minute and see if maybe one in particular that you want to walk away with, with the Lord today going, yes, this, this, is what I, I, this is what I'm called to lean into in this season of my life. So let's take a moment and then I'll do the third one.
So who our God is, what he asks of us, and then finally, Moses reminds us, what is the primary barrier to doing what the Lord asks of us? And I think the answer is our own hearts, <laughs> right? As you think about that thing that I, that list of things that I really want to do, what keeps me from doing that more? Um, there's a lot that can keep us from that. There's a spiritual battle. There's life. But I think the fundamental one is my own heart <laughs> is the thing that keeps me from doing that better. And so right in the middle of this passage, um, Moses has a command that strikes me as very interesting. Look at verse 16. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Yeah, hmm, that's right. He gives us two images that are pretty vivid. Um, let me start with the second one because we've talked about it. He says, be stiff-necked no longer. And, he's, and we talked about that a couple, couple weeks back, but he's, he's, it's a picture of an animal, right? Um, like a, you're riding a mule or there's an oxen that is, you know, doing the farming for you. And, and it's stiff-necked. You're trying to turn it somewhere and it's not wanting to go that way. And Moses had seen a lot of the human heart through his experience. And he had seen the, the, the way that the Israelites were so stubborn and how they wouldn't turn the ways that God wanted them to turn. And so he says, don't be like that anymore. <laughs> Stop being that way. And then you have this other image, which is more graphic. This is, this is not for family television here, right? Circumcise your hearts, okay? He's talking about foreskin, right? He's, he's saying, it's like there's a covering over your hearts, meaning God speaks to you, but it, it doesn't get in all the way. Like, it, you're not receptive. You're not soft and open to him. It's like there's a covering over your, your hearts that needs to be removed, that needs to be cut off, okay? That's what he's saying. And again, he had seen a lot of the human heart. This, this group of people that were just chronically, as Mark mentioned, forgetful, chronically rebellious, right? Just chronically wanting to go back to the land of slavery. And so Moses says, um, circumcise your hearts. Be stiff-necked no longer. Um, and think about that. That's basically to say, stop having the hearts you have right? Stop being who you are, <laughs> okay? You need to not be who you are. You need to not have the hearts that you've had in the wilderness these 40 years. It reminded me, do you, this is a little comic relief. Do you remember that old Bob Newhart comedy sketch where he's a therapist, right? And uh, he does like five-minute therapy sessions. That's all he does. And this, this girl comes in, this woman comes into his, his office, and he says, I do this. I'm a little unorthodox in my, in my therapy, but he comes in and he says, so what, what's the problem? And she said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of confined spaces. And he says, well, okay, I, I, have, I have two words for you. I want you to listen really carefully. Stop it. And she's like, what? Stop it. And he said, what, what else? What else are you struggling with? And she's like, well, I, I, I tend to get into very dysfunctional relationships with men. Stop it. And she goes through a litany of, you know, dysfunctions. And every response is just, stop it. Stop it. And I'm sure any therapist has desperately wanted to say that to their clients sometimes. Just stop it right? In a sense, that's kind of what Moses is saying. Stop it. <laughs> this is who we are. Well, stop being who you are. These are our hearts. Well, stop. Stop having those hearts. And um, the question is, of course, well, how, how do you do that? Right? I can't stop it. That's my problem. That's why I'm in this office, right? I can't, 
I can't not be who I, I can't just change my heart. And yet Moses says, circumcise your hearts, change your hearts. And so we have to hold this command, which Moses means, um, with something that Moses says towards the end of Deuteronomy. And you don't have to turn there. I'll put it up on the screens. But Moses says, it's so fascinating, towards the end, he, he basically predicts what is going to happen. And he says, I, I know you. I know you're not going to be able to be faithful to this covenant. I know your hearts. And here's what's going to happen. The curses that are in this covenant are going to come to pass in you. God is going to exile you to the, you'll come to the promised land, but you'll di- be chronically disobedient. He will exile you into the nations. You'll go, you'll go, out, you'll go into slavery in the nations again. But from there, um, you can return to the Lord, and he will come to you again, and he will bring you back into the land, and he makes this wild promise of what God is going to do. Here's what he says. Even if you've been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors, and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. And here's the promise. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Right? So here he says, circumcise your hearts. And later he says, God is going to have to circumcise your hearts. Because you can't do it on your own, right? And this connects with the new covenant promises that the prophets make. Let me show you two really well-known ones. Jeremiah says it this way. The days are coming, this is God speaking, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. This is the covenant I will make. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. The law will no longer be on stone tablets for them to look at and not be able to do. It will be written on their hearts through my spirit. Or even more beautifully, I think, Ezekiel. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Isn't that beautiful? So a God who says, circumcise your hearts... (laughs) And any self-awareness would say, I can't. <laughs> if I could do that, I would. And the God who steps in and says, I will circumcise your hearts through my own spirit. I will give you new hearts of flesh that beat like mine does, that are receptive to me. And so you take all that together, and when we realize that the greatest barriers are our own hearts, okay, then what is faithfulness? Well, then faithfulness, in light of all that, must be this. I recognize my need, I recognize my heart, and I simply bring that heart before the Lord and say, I've got this broken heart, Lord. I can't fix it, but I can bring it to you. And you promise to change it and to heal it and to fix it. So the journey with God and covenant with God is simply a journey of regularly bringing our hearts before the Lord so that His Spirit can do in us what we can't do in ourselves. 
And for those of you who were last week, that's exactly what Todd Pickett talked about, right? All, the, all that's in us that God has to work out. For those of us on the men's retreat, that's what the whole weekend was about, bringing the hidden, broken heart in need of repair to the Lord so that his spirit can do what only his spirit can do. And so David leads us in that movement so, so classically in Psalm 139. Here's what we do. Bring those hearts out. Say, search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so this is the last movement we want to do. We just want to take a moment to do this before the Lord. And you identified something in that last movement, something that you feel like God may be calling you to do. And I want you to think about what about my heart is broken that, that makes it very hard for me to do that, that makes it so hard for me to be faithful to God. And let's just take a moment just to offer that to the Lord. God, here's my heart, right? Here's the barrier. <laughs> I'm the barrier. <laughs> I need you to do a fresh work of, of comfort, of conviction, of clarity, of hope, of encouragement. And so let's just take a minute. Just bring whatever brokenness is, is, is before you today and invite the Spirit to do a fresh work, okay? We're just going to take a moment of silence. And then I'm going to have Drake, one of our elders, come up and just pray for us. That the Spirit would do a fresh work in our hearts wherever we need Him to do that work. So let's just take a moment. You might want to close your eyes. You might even want to just bring, hold your hands out and just say, God, I want to I offer you this imperfect heart. So let's just take a moment to do that. And then Drake will come and, and pray for us. Lord, it is with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm that you purchased us. And we're yours. And so our hearts are yours. And you know that we have no power to change them. And so we ask that you would circumcise our hearts, Lord, that you would do the work that only you can do. And at the same time, 
that you would grace us so that we would bring our hearts to you as an offering, uh, as, as an alabaster jar, if you will, Lord, as, uh, to break at your feet uh, so that our tears and the sweet perfume would mingle and be uh, just an offering to you, pleasing to you. You would heal us. That you would make us willing. Lord, we, um, we know and you know our hearts um, that we can often be stubborn and willful that we want our own way. But in this process, Lord, uh, we, we ask for surrender. We, do, we ask for that surrender, that you would do that work, not only of, of changing our hearts, but bringing the surrender that you know um, we need so that we would worship you alone. And so that you can lead us on the new path you're opening for us. So that our hearts would break for the things that um, your heart breaks. That we would be burdened for the people that you love. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, the worship team, you guys can come on up. So we're going to close this series by celebrating communion together. And, you know, we've been looking at the Old Covenant uh, all through this time this year. And, of course, um, Deuteronomy is sort of a, a covenantal renewal ceremony. It's Moses calling the people back to the covenant. And in the New Covenant, this is our covenant renewal ceremony. I want to remind you what... Um, oops, sorry. Can I have the last two slides for my sermon, Golden? Um, it's the word. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. Um, this is what Jesus said on the night before he died. Jesus took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is, and here's that word, the new covenant. Right? This is the new covenant in my blood, uh, which is poured out for you. And so this is our way to remember. Uh, this is our way to uh, renew the covenant with our Lord. And it's um, taking the body and, and blood of Christ and these elements is uh, such a great way to experience his grace, right? We were reminded of the grace that was poured out on us when Jesus died for us. And this is a really tangible way to reconnect with God's grace. And I, I'm realizing I more and more need to reconnect with the grace of God. There's a moralist in me <laughs> that just keeps popping up all the time. And I need to be reminded, no, the gospel is not what I do for the Lord. The gospel is what, what Jesus has done for us. And so this is an opportunity just to be washed in grace again, in forgiveness. It's a chance to confess our sins and to experience his forgiveness again. And then it's also a chance to recommit to the covenant. If we feel like, man, I've just been distant, Lord, lately. I feel like I've been distracted or just downright <laughs> rebellious, whatever it might be. This is an opportunity to share a meal with Jesus at the table 
and reconnect with him. Say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in on this. I, I need to be reminded of that. So whether you need to experience his grace, whether you need to recommit yourself, um, the table is there. And Jesus loves to minister to us as we do this. And it's something we do together. It's not just a me and Jesus moment, but this is something we all do together. So whenever you're ready, uh, we've got these, these five tables. You can come on up. Uh, and take the elements, and we'll, we'll just have a time of worship as we do that. We have people in the back who would love to pray with you. There will probably be someone right over here who would love to pray with you, but receive prayer today. If there's something that was stirred, um, let someone come alongside you and, and uh, pray for you. So um, we've got time to do any of that. So let's come to the tables when we're ready.